Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here with another concepts episode. And this one is on the concept of leadership versus authority. And this is a very important concept when it comes to closing deals. Uh, I detail a lot of this in Beyond Intake, but I want to expand on this for the application for sales specifically, but I also think this is like a huge through line in basically all aspects of business. But anyways, let's get to it. So basically, when we're talking about an interaction between two people, or even two groups of people, there's always a leader and a follower. There's somebody who's setting the pace and somebody who's following. And this isn't always an adversarial thing. So some examples that come to mind, it could be a conversation, it could be a dance, it could be a game, chess, whatever, boxing, mixed martial arts fan, you kind of know who's, who's setting the pace in any sort of an interaction like that. But anyway, this is something that I want to keep in mind when we're going through and talking about this. So the situation that gets tough for law firm owners, especially when we're talking about going from working in a law firm or owning a law firm to a situation where you're dealing with a client is by default, law is a very, very hierarchical place. So we have explicit authority and reporting relationship. If you're an associate talking to a partner, if you are somebody who needs the deal versus somebody who has their choice, like all these, well, so many law firm owners are leaning on explicit authority, especially within the context of the legal profession, because it's very, very hierarchical. So if you're an associate working your way up the ranks, you know 100% where you stand in the law firm. Partners amongst themselves usually know where they stand. And these are, and you know, if you have the situation where you're running a law firm, most of the people that you're talking to on a day-to-day -day basis are people that either directly report to you or indirectly are responsible for making their living if you're the managing partner or the owner of the firm. So we have a lot of explicit authority built into the interactions that we have on a day-to-day -day basis. But when we go outside of that bubble, the lines start to get blurry. So when we're talking to clients, when we're talking to other business partners, referral relationships, vendors, the authority isn't necessarily there. So things can get kind of squirrely and people can wind up in situations where they don't really have the leadership that they're used to operating with the rest of their, their world, right? So I want you guys to kind of imagine a two by two matrix here. So on the X axis, we're going to have high versus low, low leadership to high on the right. And then on the Y axis, we can have no explicit authority to explicit authority on the top. So in most situations, I think there is like a feedback loop on this explicit authority will lead to leadership because basically you have this level of deference, right? So as a person with explicit authority in the relationship, you will be deferred to it's not absolutely foolproof. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But for the most part, that will actually lead to leadership. We have people that have soft leadership, and we'll get into that. But whenever we have the situation where the authority ends up murky, it really will default to leadership, which is a lot more intrinsic. It's a lot more soft. One of the weird examples with this that I've seen in the estate planning is a lot of the times the more credentials somebody has, the harder time that they end up having with closing deals. Uh, it's really weird. Like you'd expect somebody who's got like an LLM or you know some advanced degree with dealing with estate planning matters to be much, much more authoritative. But a lot of the times too, that doesn't end up being the 
case. And I've got a couple of reasons on why this might happen. But one of the things, especially in the context of this conversation, is that person is used to operating with explicit authority when they're in an of counsel relationship or when they're being brought in to help with some high level issue. But if they're trying to source their own deals, they don't necessarily have that. So a lot of the times they're you know not necessarily controlling the conversation in a way that they need to in order to win the business, right? So basically, the other situation that gets really, really weird when we're talking about a consultation with a client is there's not really officially rules for that. So you kind of have these two different hypotheses that you could opt into at a given time. And one is, you know, the customer is always right. But the other one is, you know, the person who has the most expertise in the situation should be dictating the flow of the conversation. And far and away, the way that I recommend attorneys end up running their consultation is the second one, right? You know, you went through law school, you have whatever experience that you have in your career dealing with this specific subject matter. In no universe is the conversation going to go in a better direction if the customer is leading the questions. But whether through it's not understanding these dynamics or understanding these dynamics and getting steamrolled by somebody who's particularly pushy, attorneys can sometimes find themselves in a situation where they've lost leadership in a conversation, which makes it extremely difficult to not only close, but add value within that relationship. So the first thing, and this is something that we, we go over a lot in the book, is basically getting sort of a verbal contract or setting rules of engagement at the beginning of any interaction. For something like a consultation, I would recommend something along these lines. Hey, thanks for making the time. So we've got the next 60 minutes to discuss the situation. Um, I obviously, you know, don't know too much about this. I go into these things blind on purpose. So my goal for this conversation is to make sure that I understand your situation as clearly as possible. If that makes sense, and I think we can help, then you know, I'll let you know what we can do to move forward. And then we'll take it from there. Does that sound good? And yeah, I just kind of did this on the fly, catching the ums and ahs. I don't have this written down or anything like that. But this is basically what we need to do to kind of establish authority. So what we're establishing in that rules of engagement is you're going to be the ones asking the question. If it makes sense, you're going to be the one to recommend whether to move forward. And then they're supposed to be answering it. And the purpose of this is to make sure that they are going to be getting the best outcome, right? You're not doing this to hit them with gotchas and, you know, somehow backhandedly find their way to getting them to hand over their credit card. But you're doing this to understand their situation deeply and be able to recommend whether you can help. And there's some subcommunication built into that. So like the the post the introducing the if it makes sense clause to that that whole little statement is really, really powerful because it positions you as somebody who's not going to make a recommendation if it doesn't make sense. So you are evaluating them in this this whole situation. So basically there's a lot of different things wrapped into this. We go into this very, very in depth in the book. We have entire chapters on this, but you know, basically it puts you in a situation where you win. So that is almost a way to set temporary authority within a conversation. So so that gives you the platform with which you can develop leadership. But if it's not leveraged, it gets taken back. So a couple of ways that we'll see this and, um, you know, going back to the uh, the LLM question is like sometimes if we have like some an unnecessarily detailed line of questioning or, you know, we're asking them stuff that they have no idea why or this connects to their situation at hand. Or if we're going through some sort of a rote checklist style inventory of their assets, something I, mean, I hate so much, I can't even tell you how many deals that kills. Then a lot of the times people are going to flip into the legal hotline mode and then start asking you questions. And then again, if you ever get to the point where you have these legal hotline kind of conversations, more often than not, not, that is not someone who's going to be backflipping into closing quickly for your full price or on any timeline that you're agreeing with. That's how we get the thank you for the information. I'll get in touch outcome to a call stage, which nobody wants.
And my theory on this is that there's either a conscious or a subconscious evaluation that's happening moment by moment of who is doing a better job. I just put this as air quotes, driving the car. So basically, if you set leadership in the call, you're doing good things with that leadership. Why would somebody want to kick you out of the driver's seat? The conversation's going in a good direction. They're engaged. They're uncovering things about their situation that they had no idea about. Why would they want to kick you out of the car and, and think they could do a better job? So in my opinion, the best way to build leadership and develop expertise and develop rapport with you as an expert is to be an effective steward of the conversation. So unfortunately, this isn't like a very formulaic thing that you can do. It really does take a couple of soft skills to make this work. But the best people that have the highest close rate do a lot of these things, right? So the first thing I'm going to say is active listening. One of the reasons I, I rail against these very, very detailed inventories that people insist on doing in like a, a rote or a formulaic way is that there's really no room for active listening. It's very important to listen to the content of what people are saying, how they end up answering questions, because it really gives you the openings to ask follow-on questions in a way that's going to make the conversation go in an interesting direction. Another question to yes, yeah, so like you're asking relevant questions that end up leveraging your expertise. And ultimately, the whole goal of this is to expand the conversation into a productive direction. And you guys know that I like to have all these like visualizations or things too. But if you kind of think about the direction of where a conversation can go, it's really nonlinear. And every question that you ask, if you're listening for it, can provide several different directions that you can provide. And it's making the right choices question after question that is how you effectively steward the conversation. So one of the examples I bring up, and uh, this is something for the book, but basically if you have a situation where you can tell that somebody's hitting a nerve, like a question that you ask is hitting a nerve. This could be in how they answer the question, the content of what they're saying. As you get really, really good at this, you're going to notice things like people's tempo, their body language, what happens to their voice and how they say things. But one of the examples I go over in the book is, you know, we have the situation, all right, cool. So I've got, and just using estate planning as, as an example here, I've got XYZ, we got $500,000. Uh, I want to make sure that that goes to my daughter, my first son, but not my second son. As a statement, you can move on from that. Absolutely. But a great question to ask would be, that's interesting. What's going on with your second son, right? And you might find out that he has a situation that's solvable by something that you can do with your estate plan. So, you know, hey, well, maybe uh, I don't like his wife. She's got a terrible shopping habit. So, well, hey, look, you know, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but it's actually possible to protect against those things. If that wasn't an issue, would you want to include your son in your inheritance? And then, then you can have a conversation. But this is like the most powerful thing because if they didn't know about that, then all of a sudden we're asking questions that go into a direction that they weren't able to explore. That's not information they could get from asking you because their understanding of the problem is much more narrow than yours as an expert in the field. And again, I use estate planning in this example, but this happens in every single practice area that you can imagine. So just to take a quick sidebar, it's just like the dumbest thing ever when I'm having a situation like, all right, cool. Hey, uh, you know, I heard you're uh, looking to get into the country. What questions do you have for me? Because you can only ask questions based on your understanding of the problem, right? You have more questions and better questions that you can possibly ask. So you really should be in the driver's seat. It's generating more value for the client for that 60 or 90 or whatever you want to have for your conversation length of time to be invested in questions that you're asking as the expert, right? So anyways, that's just a quick example for sales as far, or maybe not so quick example, but it's, it's very important as you guys can tell. I get pretty passionate about this, but I think this concept is really, really applicable outside of sales as well. So, I mean, I think the most obvious application for leadership is with hiring people and you know doing stuff around leading employees in there. So basically we have these situations where you have this stated authority, but 
you don't necessarily have the leadership. So everyone's worked for a bad boss, somebody who's making decisions that are not really necessarily the best, or they're just not doing a good job of driving the car. Now, the situation is different when we're talking about an employee versus a prospect, because a prospect is more able to boot you out of the car conversationally. But what ends up happening when your authority doesn't match up with your leadership is that's when people start doubting you. That's when you get insubordination. That's when you end up having people that are quitting because they're frustrated in the direction and following somebody who is not thinking in a way that's going to benefit them. So again, not to say that every single employee has a better view of what's going on than the people that are managing them. But being able to lead effectively is a matter of taking what they have into consideration. And I think that the parallels towards the deep dive within a sales conversation, a deep dive within what kind of information you're getting from your direct reports should be pretty obvious. I hope so. And again, incorporating them into why you're making decisions and making sure that you're back channeling what goes into decisions that you're making in that kind of situation. But ultimately, you have to earn it, right? So if you're in the leadership position, you know, you're auditioning for your job as much as anyone is auditioning for their job as being somebody who works for you, right? I I think the best leaders are the people who don't take that stuff for granted. And that's ultimately why people don't leave them and they do their best work for them. It's just like it's as empowering to work for somebody who's going to take what you're what you're telling them and multiply it and, and use it to, to move a company or a law firm as it is disempowering to have feedback that falls completely on deaf ears, right? Another situation, this is one of those gray areas, one that we frankly get into pretty often. And I'll say we're on both sides of the table with it. But when you have a situation where you're working with vendors, you want to keep in consideration whether you want to be leading those discussions or not, right? So my default, and this is absolutely the situation that works the best for us in terms of the results we're having to have is like when people are deferring to matters of expertise that we have an advantage of, and we're able to defer to them on matters of expertise that they have, right? And the kind of the note that I have on this is like, you know, you wouldn't go to a five-star restaurant and tell the chef which knife to use. And, you know, you want to kind of think about the situation where you're on the other side of that equation. So similarly, like, I think it's an awful situation when you have prospects that are not as educated as you in the law, dictating how you're supposed to employ a legal strategy on whatever practice area you have. And then frankly, when you're the receiving end of that, it's, it's very irritating. And you know, you're being asked to, it's a bad situation because if you have the situation where you're being asked to make decisions on behalf of a vendor who has more expertise on how those decisions are going to play out or vice versa, you're basically asking somebody to waste a very, very finite resource in terms of their decision-making power for that day. So by and large, it's like, you know, if you have the situation where you have somebody who's a master in something and even somebody who's less of a master in that thing, if you do happen to have a lot of domain experience or whatever the situation happens to be, you're generally going to get a better result in letting the expert lead. And like the kind of metaphor with this, instead of, you know, telling the chef which knife to use, it's like, you know, how good is it to sit down to a wonderful meal that's like a prefix at like a great restaurant? It's like, I think there's some people that strive to be the leader in every single situation, but being the follower in a situation where you're able to work with a true expert is fantastic. It's a really enjoyable experience. And I think, you know, probably beyond the scope of this, uh, this podcast or, or, you know, my, <laughs> my skills as a, as a marketer to uh, help people who feel a compulsive need to do that in every interaction. That's probably more of a therapist question, but you get the idea. You want to have a situation where you're working with people that you trust and you're able to trust them fully. That's a really, really good situation to be in. But basically, I want to close out with, you know, thinking about this for yourself and your clients. So what ends up happening when you start saying like things like it depends and deferring decisions to them? What happens when you recommend 12 packages at the end of your conversation, ask them to choose? You're basically asking people to do things that's harder for them than it is for you. And what happens when people are confused? One of my favorite quotes ever, the confused mind never buys. 
So these are the kind of things that, you know, you want to keep in mind, you know, when you have a situation where you can be the expert, leverage that. It's genuinely like you have to ask yourself, who's providing a better experience? The person who's letting somebody who has 60 minutes of education on a situation, asking them to make a decision or you with decades potentially of experience making a decision on their behalf and recommending things. So who's providing a better experience? I would probably say it's going to be the lawyer that's that's doing more jobs as a leader. And I can tell you empirically from the people that we work with, the people that are having more of that leadership position and recommending things instead of letting their clients choose whatever they want to do, they're the ones who are collecting more cash at the end of the day, right? And that's basically something to kind of keep in mind. You don't have to take my word for it, but you know, if you guys are familiar with people who have super successful practices, you ever have the benefit of getting inside their head on consultation process, you'll probably find similar things. So that is it. I hope you guys enjoyed this discussion on the concept of leadership, but it is such a hack within the sales context. And I really think it's a through line on everything that has to do with managing people. Be aware of it. You don't always have to be the leader, right? There's great situations to not be a leader, but when you can lead, it behooves you to lead. <laughs> so anyways, take that in mind. Let me know if you guys have any questions and I will see you next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.